Hello and welcome to the Farm One podcast. I'm Rob Lang. I'm the CEO and founder of Farm One and I'm sitting here in the farm. Uh, we have Alex from Neurovine with us today. Neurovine is a hydroponic dosing technology. Uh, and Alex is this really interesting person who's that's part of his ethos is about building things that create the future of cities. But also we're going to talk about sustainability as a whole and even Alex's diet and how that fits into how he sees the world and how he wants to improve it. Neurovine is a cool system. We've actually got one literally right next to me. Uh, you can't see it on camera right now, but we'll show you some shots of the unit. It's very, very cool. It's very uh, new and I'm, I can't wait to talk through that whole system. Uh, and it's great to have you on the farm, Alex. Welcome. Well, it's really great to be here, Rob. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. What do you think of the farm? How is it to be sitting in the farm for an interview? Uh, it's probably, I mean, this is actually my first podcast I've ever been on. And I have a feeling that this is probably going to be like one of the coolest places I'll be on maybe in the, in the future podcasts I'll be in, I'll be on. So, uh, I, I think it's really great. And I was actually talking with Ina before about how being surrounded by so many plants, they're going to produce so much oxygen for me. So, you know, sometimes you get tired, but maybe I'll be able to stay awake for longer and then I can feed them with my CO2. So we have this really nice symbiotic process going on. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully my conversation wasn't going to bore you. So like if there weren't plants here, hopefully it wouldn't put you to sleep. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Right. I don't think so. I think it'll be great. Well, let's start with some sort of self-introductions then. Like, who are you? How did you get to start Neurovine? Neurovine and, you know, what's a bit of your background? Yeah. Uh, so I think like a, a really great place to start on my background is when I, I went to school in Florida. So I, I went to high school in, in a town called Carmel, New York, and I really just wanted to go somewhere completely different for college. So I went to school at uh, FIU in Florida. And I actually wasn't like the best student in high school. And I didn't just kind of change overnight when I got to Florida. So I did study engineering and I, I was just sort of trying to find myself at the time. And so I guess going forward, I started really getting into like the Internet, I guess, like that was maybe 2010, 2011. So I really started having like YouTube as sort of my online school. I was learning a lot from there. Uh, I actually started learning a lot from the Khan Academy, which is a place where you can learn math. And it was really great because I had such a lot of gaps in my knowledge. And I think that was maybe preventing me from really like getting really into school because, you know, with school, they just take you from one grade to the next. And even if you're missing stuff, then you then you have to just be in the class anyway. And so that kind of really started to enlighten me. And I was like, wow, I just really want to learn like, how does the unit circle work? You know, even even though I'm in calculus, I, I didn't even understand that. And so I started. Wait, sorry, what did you just say? How does the what? Oh, the, the unit circle. So if anyone like takes maybe like. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even I know those two words, but I don't know them together. Unit and circle. OK, well, basically, um, it's really amazing. So uh, in mathematics, there are these things called like sine waves. Do you know about like sine waves and stuff like that? Yes, yes. So there's like sine and cosine and basically you can calculate what the value of sine or cosine is based on the unit circle. So like the circle is a length one and it goes around 360 degrees. So every 360 degree rotation, you get back to the value you're at. And so that's why it's just a wave. And so it, it just basically tells you the height of the wave at any point. Uh, there's just a lot of really cool stuff. But anyway, so 
uh, I was getting really into math and uh, I also just was watching YouTube and I came across this video for a movie called The Zeitgeist Addendum. And I don't know, have you ever heard of like the Zeitgeist film series by any chance? No, I haven't. What's that about? So there's there's at least three movies that I know of. The first one is just called The Zeitgeist Movie. And it actually just went basically into like different conspiracy theories. So it went into like, where does money come from? Where does religion come from? And like, what happened on 9-11? And so it was... It... Okay, we got deep real fast here. I didn't know we were going to go there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we don't have to go that deep, but so anyway, but anyway, so the, the, the third movie, because it was just like, you know, kind of awakening people. It's like, wait, maybe our society is different than we think. So the third movie was actually talking about more of like solutions to living in a better world. And so they had this guy on the, uh, in the movie and his name was Jock Fresco. And he, he actually recently died, but he was maybe like 102 years old when he died. And he had been designing uh, future cities for most of his life. Like he's an industrial designer. He was self-taught. He actually, in the video, he said he dropped out of school when he was like 14 years old because he thought he could like learn better himself. And, you know, I don't need, I don't know if this needs to be part of the story, but I actually ended up dropping out of college sort of because of that. Um, but he was building these future cities and I was just like super inspired by them because he was saying that like with current technology that we have, we could be building cities that are hundreds or thousands of times more sustainable than what we currently have. And it's not really like, oh, something that you could usually add to a city. It's like, let's re-engineer a city from the ground up. And uh, his ideas were like circular cities where basically the central core was like a, a computer like processor and it was basically operating everything. So instead of government being like all these politicians wearing ties, it was just like a computer system that was deciding uh, what should be done in the city just to run things more optimally based on things like, you know, uh, people having enough food, making sure that um, the climate was right, making sure the transportation was taken care of, just, you know, all these things like that. And so that got me really inspired. And uh, I actually went to visit him. So I decided like after watching that a little bit, you know, I just kind of was in school a little bit longer. I started getting really interested in math and I, but I stopped caring about school. And so then I decided to just drop out of school. I visited his place and he took me on a tour and I learned about like what he was up to. And it, it just kind of like enlightened me. And I was thinking like, this is something that I want to work on uh, into the future. So I'll, I'll stop there in case you want to interject a little bit. I could go on a lot. No, that's interesting. He sounds like sort of a Buckminster Fuller type, sort of slightly auto autodidact, like engineering self-taught plus academic. Is that the right sort of picture of this guy? Yeah, I mean, he was just uh, like a problem solver. Like he's because I mean, I'm, I kind of see this the same way. Like I see like the earth as like a system. Like it's like you see the earth as a system. You see like people as a system. And it's like, how can I run this system more optimally and so he called himself even like a social engineer it's like you know you know if you put like crosswalks in this in the city like people will cross the state street so it's just like how can i build systems so that people will engage in these in these systems and live more optimally interesting i didn't know we were going to go there but that sounds super interesting i mean it makes me sort of think of you know, uh, I actually recently read a book, uh, a science fiction by, book by someone called Sam Hughes. It's called Ra, and it's it's 
doesn't really matter exactly what it's about, but one of the concepts is that humans uh, build progressively better supercomputers that are able to eventually like predict what we want. Um, and if you think about, you know, in very simple terms, Google can uh, maybe suggest to you what to wear based on the weather, or it can suggest a better route to work that you wouldn't have thought of as a human. And these are sort of ways in which AI is already sort of giving us benefits beyond what we might be capable of as, as simple humans. But if you sort of extend that out, you know, fully, uh, you might have a system that can sort of predict that today you want to eat, you know, tofu and rice instead of this and that because of all of your past behaviors and stuff. Um, and so anyway, in this book, it, it sort of eventually goes wrong because the, the system sort of starts to overtake everything we do. But I think that there's that sort of kernel of an idea there where it's sort of like, yes, there is this possibility to kind of plan out cities, structures, organizations, perhaps better using some, I guess, some forms of artificial intelligence that are like programmed by us, hopefully. So they sort of take into account what we want. Um, yeah. What do you, I mean, how do you feel about that in terms of, I mean, because obviously there's a lot of discussion about AI now and the potential dangers of AI and the potential, um, you know, if you look at uh, computers where with Moore's law, the process of power is still sort of pretty much doubling every 18 months um, where we make it into this kind of runaway situation with AI. I didn't know if I was ever going to ask this question on the Farm One podcast, but like, what, what's your assessment of, of that trend and, and the dangers of AI versus the benefits? Uh, that's, a, that's a really interesting question. Um, so I would say that there's a lot of different like milestones for that. And I think like one of the main issues that I would see with AI in the next decades or even like five years from now or even even today is just um, automation like replacing people's jobs you know because basically um, we've they've talked about like the industrial revolution it's like oh there was an industrial revolution machines like mechanical machines replaced people's jobs but then um, then people started working with like computers and like new jobs were created so basically machines replaced like strength in a way but now uh, machines are replacing the mind. And so it's gonna be like a lot harder for people to, to find work in a lot of different cases. And so, for example, like um, with like self-driving cars, uh, there's, gonna, there's a lot of people, I think there's maybe, maybe like 9% of people in the United States, that's just a, a number, it's just an approximate number, are uh, driving like trucks for a living. And soon there'll be autonomous trucks. And so like there's not going to be jobs for people. And so eventually if, if there's not enough jobs and people can't afford to, to pay their bills, then there's going to be a revolt or something like that. And, you know, actually it, it kind of brings up how we've actually sort of gotten into our like the world we're living in right now is because of the, the pandemic was sort of like that's that kind of just happened right now. Um, where people didn't have work. And so it's actually like, instead of the artificial intelligence taking over, it was the government saying like, oh, you get you can't go to work. And pay, the government has basically started paying people to to not work. And so I, I really think that like, that might be a, a temporary solution is just, you know, as more and more artificial intelligence takes jobs away from people that can't uh, do something else. Like for example, we talk about like truck drivers, like they're gonna have a hard time learning some a new skill, especially if they're older. Uh, so 
I think that like the government is if if the government can take care of people, if people can be provided the needs that they like the resources that they need to survive, then artificial intelligence is a good thing because, you know, driving a truck is like, you know, not like the healthiest thing for people to do. And it would be better for for robots to be doing that because it's also safer. And so I think it really just has to do with um, making sure that people are taken care of really well. Uh, and, and just maybe going a little bit more ahead with, with this, because I think a lot of us are, are sort of afraid of, of like maybe like losing our humanity or losing our purpose. Um, but, you know, I, I do actually think that at some point we may just be more like pets and that, uh, you know, but we have a supercomputer that's actually in our best interest, because right now we have AI from these like big companies, like say like Facebook, for example, that is uh, so showing us things. It's making us behave in a certain way, but it's not actually in our best interest. It's in the best interest of other companies so to make more money. And so that's why that there's a lot of like negative uh, issues in the world with AI. But if um, we had AI systems that were basically running everything, and they were actually in our best interest and like the people developing them were actually caring about, you know, humans being happy, then we could have systems that, like you said, are, are you know, recommending stuff for us to eat. Cause like, imagine, you know, you know, we have, sometimes you have to think, oh, what are we in the mood for? It's like, hey, what about this? And then like, imagine that recommendation was really good. And then also imagine you had a, a robot also to make it for you. You know, that, that could be good in a way. Um, but, you know, I know that there's like the, the question, it's like, how are we going to be fulfilled? Well, you know, we have things like video games, right? Where people design these games that allow people to feel kind of like a sense of fulfillment. Obviously it's not that fulfilling because there's still a lot of really important work to be done in the world and it, you get much more fulfillment from actually like achieving something. But I see that as just another abstraction of like video games where basically we could have these uh, like, you know, for example, like what we're doing right now, you know, say you're like, oh, I want to build a company that, you know, builds vertical farms. Maybe that could even be like part of this, I guess, like simulation or video game where you actually feel all the happiness that you get from achieving like a goal where even, but we're still like in the umbrella of like an artificial intelligence system, if that makes sense. Yeah. It does make sense. Let's, let's sort of try to tie that back to what you're actually doing in a way, right? So you're, you've decided to, you know, you got excited about these future of cities and this, like, some of these ideas. How do you connect that to then building something like this, which is a hardware product designed to help a, a farm manage nutrients and make sure its systems are in balance? What's the, what's the thread that led you towards uh, developing this system? Right. And so, so that, like what I was telling you about the future cities, that was maybe like 2010, 2011. And so that just sort of created like a little like bug in my head of like, you know, oh, this would be a cool future. And like, you know, also researching artificial intelligence and that kind of thing, just really getting excited about the future. And I just remember specifically, there was a time where I, I had this like, I almost call it like a vision where I imagined that there is this skyscraper in Manhattan that was like completely automated growing plants. Like maybe you're actually on the way to developing it. You know, I was actually just a side note. I was thinking today is like maybe the skyscraper would be like an inverted skyscraper. So you could have like, you know, tens of levels like going underneath the city, but it's still a skyscraper. It's just upside down, but it's still the same idea where you just have robots basically doing everything, growing tons of plants for everyone. 
and then also having this machine where it's like you know sending the plants throughout the city like I, I was thinking about like actually having like self-driving cars where basically all the different plants were like loaded into these self-driving cars and then they were sending uh food throughout the city and they even had like a special mechanical machine inside that could create smoothies so you could have your app and you could like tell it what smoothie you want and the robot will come with the custom-made smoothie for you um robot smoothies okay i'm in let's do it maybe we'll, we'll, we'll collab on that at some point um and so um but anyway so this was just like an idea that i had kind of simmering in my head and then just as I did decide to go back to school, fortunately, but, but it was at the time that I was ready to go to school. I went to City College of New York and I, I've just always also been like really interested in people. Like whenever I'm in classes, I'm always like, oh, who's that smart kid that like knows a lot of stuff? Like I want to be friends with them. I want to talk to them and, and learn from them. And so that was just like an, a, a thing that I noticed about myself. And, you know, maybe that's just helpful for, for anyone that wants to be an entrepreneur to understand, especially if you're in school. It's like you need to find great people to work with because it's hard to do things on your own. And and so I ended up um, meeting this like incredible person. His name is Adrian. He's my business partner. He's the CTO of Neurovine. And we, we met in a, uh, like my last year, it was in a class called communication theory. And so, you know, talking about the unit circle, it just takes that to the whole another level. And it's basically the, the mathematics of signals, which are basically like, you know, how does a Wi-Fi network signal get transferred through the air? How is it packaged? Like, you know, how does it get uh, encoded and decoded through the air and all these type of things? And so I remember like I was studying that on my own and I was like, oh, this, this, is, I would, this is a little bit dry. I'd like to study it with someone else. And so I ended up asking him to like study with and we ended up working together and we had a blast doing it because you know i'm i'm really strong in math and like he's brilliant and we just worked together and we had such an incredible working relationship that i i was like wow this is a really fantastic person to to to, to work with had you ever had you ever had that had you ever had that experience before i think like one of the cool things about getting out into college and then into the real world is that you start to be able to develop those kinds of relationships. Whereas in high school, I think it's really hard, you know, because a lot of high school is sort of set up for people not to want to do the work or the work is really boring. And so you don't get those kind of creative partnerships. Is that, was that like the first time you had kind of experienced that? Um, I would say not, not, not exactly because, uh, I did, I remember like in the same school, I was in a class uh, called data structures and it's like a programming class. And I remember like there was like really brilliant students in that class. And I had an idea for like uh, a physics virtual reality simulation where you could like learn about physics, but you had like a ball in the air, you throw it up and then you would see the forces of it as it traveled. And so I actually tried a start a virtual reality startup beforehand. Unfortunately, I was a little bit, uh, too busy or you know it, it was just a little bit too much for me at the time but definitely i i was i was always the kind of person that like even when i when i was in florida like when i when i got there the first day like i was like there was a kid that was like super smart in my calculus class and i was like hey i'm alex like you know let's be friends and so i was just always looking for people to like be friends with that were smart um yeah but adrian is like is definitely like the best like he's absolutely brilliant like i can't even believe that i'm working with someone as brilliant as him so uh you know i'm i'm just i'm just such a i'm so ingre incredibly grateful to be working with him and um but anyway like so one thing that he told me like which really made me think about working with him was he said that he had been buying empty ink cartridges from ebay 
and then he was returning them to Staples where they would give him like $2 a cartridge and then he was like buying coffee from Staples. So he was like, he was getting his coffee really cheap through this system that he had created. And I was like, see, that's the type of person that you need to work with. That's thinking like step one, two, three steps and then you you make money or you create a, an opportunity. And so once I heard that, like something went off, I was like, I need to start a business with this person. And so, um, there was a, a startup incubator at my school at City College called the Zahn Center. And they basically allow you to start a business and they had a competition where you could win either $25,000 or $50,000. And so one day I told him, I was like, hey, Adrian, I have an idea. Uh, maybe we should start a business together. And he's like, sure, let's talk. And actually the first idea I pitched him, I was like, yo, I have an idea. It's an app, it's a book club app where you have an app and you read books with your friends and you could like chat about it. And he's like, you know, that's a good idea, but I, what, what's a really crazy idea you've had? Like, I want to work on something that involves hardware. I won't, so tell me some crazy idea. And so then I told him about the skyscraper idea that, that I was just showing you. And so he was like, oh, actually MIT has an open source project called the MIT Open Ag Project, where you could build a farm in a box, like about as big as my hands are right now, like three feet by three feet by two feet. And it's a completely automated system. They have all the blueprints for it. And we could build that and we could learn how uh, to grow plants using robotics and we could figure out a company around it. And so I was like, yeah, like, let's do it. And so basically that's kind of the beginning of Neurovine. Mm, okay. Yeah. No, Caleb Harper from MIT sort of famously had the TED talk and then there's the, it, it's called the food computer, right? That's the, yeah, yeah. And I know a few people who've like tried to build one, I think with mixed success. I know the folks at Agritecture had one in their uh, office. I think Dan Nelson, who, oh, that was yours. Okay, all right, I didn't even know. Okay, okay, well, anyway. <laughs> but um, I know that there was also some controversy around the food computer later on and the MIT project. And I, I'm curious what your experience was. Obviously, you've moved on from that now, but I, I know that a lot of folks got really excited about that as a thing. It was it was great for capturing people's attention and this idea that you could sort of have a farm in a box and you could control the inputs and outputs and you could measure everything was something that really, uh, I mean, I think that TED Talk had like several millions of views, right? Um, but yeah, what was your experience with that whole thing? Yeah, you know, it's funny is I, I'm actually looking, I don't know if you see like my thumbnail, like that's me building the food computer. I don't know if you see that, like on Zoom. Yeah, 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 it's funny. Yeah, now it all makes sense. Um, so yeah, the food computer, uh, it was, I'd say like it was more of just like, get, it got people really excited. Uh, you know, we, we even went to the MIT lab at one point and we met all the engineers there and they're, they're brilliant. They're, they're working on cool stuff. Um, but it didn't seem like it had actually ever been really well developed. Like I didn't see like actual plants having been grown in it. And the, the instructions that they, that we had, um, were definitely like not the most efficient, efficient instructions. Um, but it was just cool to, you know, get involved in the community and, it was really cool, like just connecting with people online. I had to spend a lot of time online actually like because there is all this code, but it was really hard to put together. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of working with people online trying to get it to work. And, and we did get it to work to some to some degree. Like we were able to basically like send it commands and have it turn things on and off. But what we quickly realized is because, look, we were we were in a startup competition. 
starting from like January and ending in May. And we realized like there was one point where like, hey, we don't know like what business this could be, uh, but we know that this thing looks really cool. And so we just need to make it look really cool and make a really flashy pitch deck. And then we can win uh, $25,000. And so basically that was what, like that was the best thing about the food computer is it helped us win that competition. And then during that process, what we figured out was like, hey, look, this is a, uh, it's a, it's a device loaded with tech, but it's only growing, you know, two by two feet of plants, right? And so you could use the same amount of technology basically to be controlling a whole farm like this, you know, in a way. And so we realized that like, why don't we, we've already learned a lot about the technology. Why don't we start taking it out of the box and, and applying it to, to these type of farms? And so that's kind of how we went from food computer to now more onto what we're actually doing. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I think, you know, I, I feel like I've seen a few sort of projects around hydroponics or controlled environment where it, it's relatively easy to make like a small box full of technology, but the collision between actual growing and the technology often means that people sort of found it. Like they, they sort of can't really get beyond that point. And, and I guess the as you're saying, one of the true advantages of the food computer and the MIT project was actually just to get people excited. And, and it wasn't really so much about building a very productive, useful machine. Um, and, you know, particularly when you think about agriculture in general, like, you know, large scale agriculture is about producing pounds and pounds of food. And it's not actually so much about the precise measurement of each plant. Um, so it's been interesting sort of seeing some of these projects and and I, I have to admit, like when I first saw Neurovine, this was a couple of years ago, maybe, I think I saw a rendering. And and like the problem with the world nowadays is that almost anyone can create like a Kickstarter or Indiegogo or something. And it's very easy to create a rendering that looks really good. You know, like I I mean, I'm I would say I'm relatively familiar with that kind of stuff. So I can cite it, I can pretty much spot it. But I think there's a fair number of people who might look at renderings and go like, oh, okay, great. They've got a real thing, you know, <laughs> it's ready to go. And actually, A, the rendering's pretty easy to do. B, like making a mock-up single prototype is relatively easy to do. But what's really hard is going from that initial idea to something that's actually a functional product that can exist in the world and that can be manufactured and all that kind of stuff. Uh, anyway, but that was my first, you know, I remember my, the first time I saw Neurovine was a beautiful rendering and, and I got to say at the time I thought, okay, yeah, I, like show me the real, show me the real thing, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, so, so, okay. So you were experimenting with food computer, you had a little bit of success with a startup competition. And then what was the path then towards, you know, an actual sort of product and a, a clear vision of what, of what exactly you wanted to do? Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think what we learned as like, you know, especially near the end of the competition was it was a, it was a great educational opportunity. It's like, you know, it's kind of like going to school again, but, you know, starting a business, you need to learn all these different things. And we were hearing near the end, it's like, you know, it doesn't matter that you guys built this computer. I didn't give you the I didn't let you guys win because I think that this is going to be a winner business. I think it's I think you guys are going to figure it out along the way. And so um, we actually ended up doing like a, the summer program. So they, this was like during the spring and then they had a summer incubator. And that's when we were like, okay, we got to figure out what we're really going to make. And actually, I mean, this is another funny story is um, we like, so in that summer program, we ended up like going to this, 
it's hard to say like a brainstorming whole day brainstorming session where they had all these different activities where it's like okay you're gonna write down all these ideas on post-its and you're gonna put them in order on like on the wall and you're gonna like take away some of them and like then you have three left and you gotta like figure out which one is which and at the end of the day you're gonna have your idea like everyone will have their idea at the end of the day and so our idea came up to being like build a farm it's at city college and so I remember we had the idea and then we left and then we were like kind of like walking around. I think we went to sit in Bryant Park and we were like, you know, that doesn't make any sense. Like, that's not what we need to do. Like, but whatever. Like, so and then Adrian was like, what if we just like figured out the water? Like, we just figured out how to really master the water. And I was just like, yeah, like that. Let's do that. And so then we were just like, OK, let's just figure out the water. And so then we actually started with an idea like this was crazy idea where like basically it was almost like imagine how like a bunch of sensors and tubing all connected almost like imagine like a vacuum cleaner like that size but sensors and tubes and you would basically just like put it in like a pot of water and it would just add the nutrients to the water like that and so you could walk around if you had like different hydro setups you could just go around and put it in there and it would dose it and then go from one one to the one to the next and so that was like our idea and I remember actually I started like calling stores and this is one of the things that got really got into is like just calling people and asking about like, is this a good idea or not? And I remember even calling a hydro store and I was like, I have this idea or, or, or like maybe I even told him like, oh, I have this product and uh, it does this. And he's like, oh, do you have like a product? Like, I'd like to see it. I'm interested. And so we did a little bit more discussions and then we sort of kind of came to the realization that building like just a, a straight up like nutrient dosing system with, with all the pumps like similar to what we have now actually makes like a lot more sense and so yeah I mean so basically yeah like that's that's kind of what we've been doing for a while and uh, I could definitely get more into like how we've continued to develop it like we did a program called the i which is from the National Science Foundation and so I'll just kind of let you interject before I get too much into that because I think you may you might want to say something well, no, I'm so I'm interested at what point because it, it's like to be frank that there are dosing systems that have been around right for for many years, and at what point did you like realize that there were existing products on the market, and how did you figure out okay, we're going to make something that's actually new and compelling and different, and it's going to offer something that doesn't already exist? I guess that's my my biggest question because because uh, you know sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's actually great to kind of enter a new market a little bit sort of naively and go like, okay, I'm going to build something because, you know, if you know too much about it, sometimes you're just never going to do anything. But what, what did you approach it with a bit more knowledge and, and how did you sort of figure out you were going to navigate and, and create something that was truly unique? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a good question. And, uh, you know, it's something that we, we struggle with because like you said, like, you, you know, you know that there's dosing systems that already exist. Uh, and I think a lot of it actually had to do with just talking to so many people because we've been to all sorts of farms like we went to, um, you know, the one uh, what's the farm called Sky Vegetables in uh, in the Bronx. And they have. they ha Yeah. So that's really cool. And like they had a dosing system and, you know, they're they were kind of complaining a little bit about it. They were saying like, oh, there's some issues with it. It's not as good as we'd like it to be. And um, we and so and so we also like I called a lot of hydroponic stores. I told them about like, you know, a dosing system and then I started asking them questions about like you know what are the issues with the current dosing systems like oh there's there's something called like a dosatron which a lot of people use like what's good about that what's not good about that and so it was just basically like a lot of discussions 
Uh, plus, with, with this program that we got into eventually with the National Science Foundation called the i we ended up getting to go visit a lot of farms and do a lot of interviews. And Rob, I don't know if you remember, but I actually called you one time and I asked you some questions. Do you, do you actually remember that? I don't know if I remember it clearly. I We have a lot of people who want to talk to us. And we don't always, we normally say no. So I, I guess like you're lucky that you got through, but I don't know if I was helpful either. So, so hey. Yeah, I mean, it was it was like a 15 minute call. And basically I just asked you a couple of questions and I think you had some idea about who I was, but I think what I remember is like, you were like, yeah, like, there could be a better dosing system or something like that. I, I think that was like what I took away from it. And so I was like, okay, cool. Like, you know, um, but we've been to like a lot of farms. Like we've been to a lot of cannabis farms all over the country. Like it was really amazing that the, the, the government paid for us to visit all these places. So the government pays for you to visit cannabis farms, even though cannabis is federally illegal. That's interesting. Yeah, the humor isn't lost on us about it. Um, yeah. Well, did you find anything very different? I mean, obviously, you know, just a little sidebar, I think a lot of people might, outside the industry, might assume that sort of all hydroponic farms are the same. And, and one of the things that we sort of uh, try to educate people on a little bit is how, you know, a, a farm growing microgreens and herbs and flowers and things might be functionally a little bit different to a cannabis farm. And uh, one of the reasons being cannabis plants are generally grown to a much larger size. They're much more valuable plants. Often you'll use maybe a drip system or uh, something rather than just like the, the sort of closely spaced um, flood and drain system that we've got behind us. Um, and the harvesting is different. Uh, most cannabis farms are going to use a lot of uh, cuttings like propagation and um, sort of cloning uh, to get the same exact uh, strain versus a farm like this, where we're going to be planting a lot of seeds from scratch. Did you find that their needs in terms of dosing were very different as well? Or was it pretty common across all the types of farms? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely uh, a difference because like what what you're doing and and I'm just like, just from my memory, I feel like what, what I've seen that was not cannabis has all been some sort of like recirculating hydroponics because I think you guys are trying to really optimize like this system and you're willing, because the, the issue with the recirculating hydro is that it's a lot more difficult to manage, but you do get better output and it's also like a lot more efficient. So I, I, I've seen that and, and there also is that in cannabis, uh, but it's a, a lot bigger plants like you were saying. And so I would say that like recirculating hydroponic systems, they're basically, like in our mind, like for our, for, for dosing those systems, it's basically the same thing. And then there's also like the drip systems, like you're talking about where it's, we, we call it like drain to waste a lot. We're basically, you know, have like a lot of water and then you mix it with nutrients and then you send it to the plants and then you let that escape and you just basically throw that away. And so it's definitely not as efficient. You need to use more nutrients. You need to feed them more often, but like the benefit is that the fate of the plants are not tied to each other. And I guess, you know, you don't have a lot of like water that you have sitting around in which, you know, which could collect a lot of humidity and there, there could be issues with that. So it's, it's really like, you know, just two sides of the token. Um, and I, I see a lot of people in the cannabis industry doing like drain to waste. Now it, it seems it's like going that way a lot. And, um, you know, and so, so that's what we, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's a, I mean, and, and the other, I mean, maybe you sort of mentioned it, but I think the other issue with recirculating systems is a potential imbalance 
in the nutrients in that you might have the right sort of overall EC as in level of nutrients in the system, but you might be out of whack in terms of calcium versus phosphorus versus nitrogen, right? Yeah, I mean, that, so, so basically like, that's one of the things that we really want to work on. And when we were doing our interviews, people were asking us about like, okay, do you have like those individual like ion selective electrodes that can detect? It's the holy grail, right? Like no one has that. Right, the holy grail. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I was like, yeah, I think the first person I heard it from, I forgot who, like what the farm was called, but I, I went to one of these like ag tech events and there was like this farm I, maybe it's like fresh box farms or something like they're they're in boston and the guy was was named like dean falcone or something like that so i've heard that name certainly i don't yeah i don't know for sure yeah so anyway but they're like doing like hydroponic lettuce and he said that they were uh using ion selective electrodes and actually like dosing individual nutrients and i asked him i was like oh like are you like are you really doing that and he's like yeah you know we have the sensors but like they're not that good and they, they they're very expensive they don't last that long but we actually can get like different expressions of the plants by modulating like different ions and 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 there was also like a time where i was like oh maybe we need to work on the sensor technology like the hardware of the sensors themselves and make that happen and you know i'm not saying we're not going to do that but for now like you know that's a little bit further out um but what i yeah yeah, we 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 had some small sensors. I can't remember. They were made by I think a Japanese company. They were called like Laqua Laqua Twin or something like that. And you could do, um, I guess it was calcium, a few others. And but but it was a very laborious process. I mean, you had to take a drip sample and then you had to like um, mix it, and it was. It was not the kind of thing that you wanted to do on a daily basis. It was like you might do it every few months or something if you could be bothered. But like, yeah, uh, we certainly had a little look at that. So I'd be surprised if they're really doing it. I hope they are if they say they are, but I'd be surprised. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing I would say like about my, my about my product, like a little bit of a plug is that uh, the way that we designed it is that it, it's modular so that if we invent like new technology, then that technology will still work on the product that you have. So say that we do figure out how to incorporate like more advanced sensors, then basically you'll be able to plug those sensors in as like a new module into the device you currently have. And then you'll be able to dose based on individual ions. And so like that's kind of the dream is to, in, to develop it so that you can have individual ions and then you could like literally have a pump that has like, you know, just calcium, just magnesium, just nitrogen, just phosphorus, and it can just do all those things. So um, that's the future, hopefully. Amazing, yeah. So, so let's sort of like take a tiny uh, step back and explain to people, um, I think everyone listening to this will know what hydroponics is, but then the idea of a nutrient solution and the idea of dosing it automatically, uh, or even by hand, what what is the point of that? Why are we why are we managing that nutrient solution? What are we managing? Um, we talk about pH, we talk about EC. How how do those kind of things fit in? What is, what is that all? How does that all work? Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a good question. And so I would say that I'm not like the expert of all those things, but. The, the idea is that, you know, you have your plant and it's, it's, in, it's in the water, right? And so plants, they, they need water, but they also need nutrients, right? Because normally plants are, are grown in the dirt 
which has a lot of nutrients sometimes, obviously, even in conventional farming, they're adding nutrients on top of it. But so the plants are in the water and then you need to add the nutrients that they need. So those are, you know, NPK are the main ones, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and then there's like calcium, magnesium, and like there's a bunch of others that are in like lesser amounts. Uh, but the plant requires all those nutrients in order to grow. And also you need to care about the pH of the water because if the, when the pH is at the correct level, the plants are able to absorb the nutrients from the water. And so, you know, different pHs have different, uh, allow the plants to absorb different nutrients. And I think you would probably know a lot more about this than I would. Um, but so that's just the idea is that you need to make sure your plants have whatever nutrients they need when they need it, have the pH at the right levels. And so obviously like there is some optimum in that, right? And so, you know, it's, it's very difficult to actually achieve that, that optimum because, you know, one of the issues is like, like we're talking, is like, you know, we're not even usually sensing all the different ions, um, but like we have nutrients that are, have been developed already and, and, um, They've thought about how to make them so that they give the plants basically what they need so that they can grow and you know people are seeing some success with that. And so basically the key is you want to try to do things as good as possible, right? And so one of the issues with especially with like recirculating systems is the all the plants are sort of like interconnected with the nutrient system. So basically like you know the plants are absorbing the nutrients, but then they're also spitting things back into the water. So they're changing the entire like the contents of the water. And so typically you want to keep the nutrient levels like stable. And so when you have, uh, and so if you didn't have a machine doing that, you would need to constantly be looking at the water by hand, sampling it with some type of monitor and saying like, okay, like the new, the EC is a little bit low. EC is just a, a proxy for nutrients. You'd say like, okay, that's a little bit low. And so we might want to add, top off some nutrients and, you know, maybe you want to do that like once or twice a day, it, it, you know, twice a day would be good. It better, more would be better. Um, but, imagine you had an autonomous system that was always checking the nutrient levels of the water and then any time that the the nutrient levels were not in balance it took it up to the right level and so so that's like one of the things that's important and then and and the same goes with the ph like if the ph gets out of whack um because the plants are always changing the ph then uh you're going to want a system to be constantly monitoring that and adjusting that. And so when you have a system doing that, you're going to keep your levels like much more stable and that's going to increase the, uh, it's basically going to have two, two things. Like number one, it's going to save you a bunch of time, save you a bunch of headaches. And plus it's going to increase the yields of your plants because they're getting what they need basically like when they need it. Yeah. I mean, for context at farm one, we we've done a bit of both. I mean, historically at the very beginning, we were manually d testing and dosing, which meant literally every day, sticking uh, a meter into the reservoir, uh, also testing pH and then dosing accordingly by hand. Um, one of the, it was quite a, light, a time consuming thing because we had lots of different reservoirs. Um, it's also a thing that you, you have to train someone very carefully on because if they make a mistake, you will ruin your crops. And I think that one of the reasons that we switched towards automated systems is partly to save that labor, partly to save on that training and that risk, uh, but also to reduce the fluctuations. Because what happens if you're doing it manually is that you'll probably do it every day, um, but you might not do it on the weekends, for instance. You might you know, miss, miss something. Um, and so what happens is that the plants will experience you know, 
quite a lot of fluctuation in the levels, which means that they may be more likely to experience ill health. And so we like automated systems because it gives us a lot more consistency, uh, which is great for quality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. And and just one thing I guess to, to mention um, is that like another one of the benefits of the automation, like, cause you're saying the fluctuation is one of the problems is like when you also have an automated system is that uh, you can actually adjust the levels over like a long period of time. Cause like, say you're doing it by hand, like you might have to, you know, you might dump some in and it'll get mixed up in like 10, 15 minutes. But if you have like a, an automated system, you can set it. So it goes for like two hours and that way it really keeps your plants gradual and they don't have those like root shock or nutrient lockout issues. Yeah. Good point. Good point. And so I'm sitting here, the system exists, we are using it. Uh, what's been the, the path to getting this as a, to a real product? And what are some of the challenges that you've been through in developing this hardware product? Because hardware products are notoriously difficult. You're also working with water and nutrients, things that are corrosive potentially. Um, how did you get to this point? What are the, some of the, the difficulties that you've had to overcome? Wow. Um, so I would say that the real challenge is, is the hardware itself. In, in that in the development of the hardware itself uh because you know you might think like oh it's you know it's just some pumps it's some sensors you test the nutrients you know you put some stuff in like how how complicated is that right it doesn't sound that complicated and so and and, the, and one of the reasons why we were, we were thinking that too because we're like well why isn't there anything that's that good out there like you know why isn't everyone doing this because it seems like pretty straightforward but it, it turns it turns out it's a it's a nightmare. It's so complicated. And so and one of the funny things that we, we joke about this sometimes is like there's other products out there that basically are like an IoT, like so Internet of Things is IoT. So like anything that's like a smart device connected to the cloud. And so it's like, oh, you can have an IoT like sensor and, it, you know, say it senses like CO2, VPD, temperature, humidity, light. Right. And you could put that in your farm and that connects to the cloud and and we've seen people buying those like tons of people buying those and it doesn't have to do anything other than just take data and send it to the cloud and then graph it right and so we were joking it's like we could have just done that but instead we had to make the most complicated thing ever and it's been it's been taking us like years to to make it happen um but but i you know i think that that's good like i'm actually like really grateful that we we did go down this challenging path because you know, once we develop this th thing, you know, because we've basically developed like a, a firmware industry because basically so there's a couple of layers to this. There's there's obviously like there's the physical hardware system. Then there's the firmware which lays on it's the software that's on the hardware devices. So the, like what you have in your room is you have like the monitor. It's called an alchemist and that has its own circuitry. Then you have the pumps. They have their own circuitry. And so they have their own software and their own circuitry. And then basically then you have the alchemist, which is connected to the cloud. So it's internet connected. So it's sending data to the cloud. And then we have the whole cloud infrastructure, which has like multiple layers on top of that so that you could, you know, have all your data, you can change things in the cloud and then that can get sent back to the device. So we already, so now we have all these different like concepts already developed that basically say we wanted to now build another product, say we wanted to build that sensor, the te temperature humidity sensor in the air, it would not be that hard to make because it's like we already have like what our device already does is it already collects data and sends it to the cloud and graphs it. So like that would be like probably one of the easiest things. And, you know, you could imagine coming to a hydroponic store near you in the not too distant future. Um, 
But in terms of like what's really been challenging with us is, you know, I, I wish, you know, I think it would be great to have like, you know, Adrian like discuss more about this because he's like he's the real technical guy. Like I'm we're actually both computer engineers, but he is absolutely brilliant at all this stuff. And like, you know, one of the reasons why we're able to do what we can do at this level is, is because of him and because of his ability. But so anyway, so so but there, there have been a lot of real technical challenges. And I think that like one of the best things that we have done is just taken on more of the technical work on our own because so we have been fortunate to get different grants uh different like grant opportunities where you know we had some money that we could use and so one of the early things that we were doing we were like hey well what if we started outsourcing stuff online so we were going to websites like upwork and fiverr and things like that and we were getting like someone to make a, a circuit board for us or someone to make like the the web application for us and so what we you know we, we got the circuit board and we realized like oh this is crap like it's not it doesn't work that well uh you know this like you know th this person doesn't even care enough and so you know we realized that like maybe we should start doing that and so adrian he actually learned how to make circuit boards on the computer and, and when he learned that he realized that like oh my god this is actually not that bad this is something that i can totally do and and by him learning it like, I, I remember we had this conversation. He's like, yeah, I think it might take me like a couple of days to really figure it out. And, and that has been like one of the best decisions that we've ever made is having him actually learn how to make the circuit boards. Uh, also, similarly with uh, even firmware, we, we outsourced our firmware the first time. And this cost us maybe like ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. And it just wasn't really well written. And, and so we actually had, we've gone through a couple of, of iterations of the firmware and, and the final thing was actually just Adrian and I working on writing the firmware. We spent basically all of uh, 2020 like rewriting all the code and just doing it ourselves, just making sure everything was like perfect and well structured for, for growth. And, and so now we've realized doing that in house is, has been super helpful for us. Um, same thing with the, the cloud is is that we um, we had hired people to help us build the the web application. So there's like the front end of the web application that you see, and then there's the back end, which is all like the server stuff. And hiring people to do that, like they're 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 companies that make like web apps. Like their job is to just be hired to make these products, and so they reuse a lot of the stuff. And so we remember like one time we were looking through the code, and it, it, the back end was written in Java. And we're just like, well, why, why are they writing it in Java? Like that seems so like archaic for them to be doing it. And, and so we realized at some point, like we, we have to throw it away. And so that was like 20, $25,000 just in the trash. And so like, but you know, it's not like trash because like we learned a lot from it, but uh, we, we were also super lucky though. Cause we got, um, we actually ended up hiring some, some really fantastic people in the city, like at city college, they had a, a a, a senior design program where like, you know, seniors get to work on a project for a year. And one of the professors actually let us come to the class and offer a project. So we had, and, and when we told them, we were like, oh, you know, we're, we're like a legitimate company. We're working on hydroponics. I even told them that we're gonna be doing like space farming in the future, which we actually are. But, um, and I, we got some people really excited and it turned out like the, the, some of the top students in the class wanted to work for us. And I remember even the professor was like, oh, I, I really didn't want you to take that student, but you know, you have to let the students do what they want. And so we had a really fantastic student, his name is Sam, and he helped us for a whole year rewrite the, redesign the web application. And he worked with Adrian 
and they work together and they actually figure out how to develop this whole back end. But like, but they're actually passionate about what they're doing compared to like a business that's like, oh, we're just trying to churn these things out. So they actually figured out like all this cool stuff. And then like, you know, Sam's listening to a podcast. He's like, oh, I found out about this new thing. It's like, this is the future of like building, like basically like infrastructure as code. Like instead of like going online and connecting all these like different, um, like, so, so basically there's AWS, Amazon Web Services, which is how you develop uh, web applications. Like there's other, there's others as well, but Amazon is like the, the standard. And so, you know, you can normally, they have like hundreds of services and you can figure out how to connect them together. But there's also something called like a CDK, which basically allows you to like program things. It's like, oh, like add server, like with, with like a line of code. And so you can actually like build, build in that way. And it's just, it's just much more efficient once you get the hang of it. And so putting all these really uh, modern technologies into our system and, and developing it for like a scalable system. So like, for example, like one of the great things about Amazon is that it's, it scales automatically. So back in the day when people were like creating websites and running them at home on their, on their computer, it's like, oh, once there's too many people using the website, the computer will crash. But with these web servers is like, you know, they understand how to replicate like the backend so that if you, you grow with more customers, it, it doesn't really get that affected. And so basically like that's, that's kind of what, what has happened is like, we've sort of just taken everything in house. We've really thought about things from, from the ground up. And then we've just been building like one layer at a time. And, and we're really thinking about the future. And so like I was telling you about how, you know, if we make like a new module for the alchemist, like it's going to work is because we thought about how can we make sure that if you buy something now, like if we make it better in the future, how do we not have to like throw everything in the trash and start all over again? And so it's not only that it's good for customers, it's good for us as well to develop it. Amazing. And so like talking about the customers, what, what's the big benefit of picking Neurovine over something else that might exist on the market? What, what gets people excited about, about your product versus what else is out there? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to like oversell myself, but I feel like, you know, there's like cars and then there's like Tesla, you know, and there's like Tesla is like the future of automobiles. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like in a category of its own, like they're the same thing, but they're just like years ahead because they're so passionate about what they're doing and they actually want to make it like really cool because it's something that they, they care about making for themselves. They're not like sort of stuck in the past with all this you, know, you can call it like technical debt. Uh, and so there, so there are like, you know, technologies that have been around for a long time and they, uh, they, I guess there hasn't been like a really, a lot of really good competition. I mean, the farming industry is, has been around like indoor farming has been around not too long, but it's definitely like starting to explode. And so there really just needs to be new minds working on these automated systems. And it's, it's almost like saying like, Oh, what if, you know, there's already a computer, like they shouldn't have built the Apple because we already had computers. It's like, you know, there should be new people trying to build the same thing, but rethinking it and, and reimagining it and, and, and taking, you know, every step of every step of the process, like thinking about, okay, like when you open the box, like, you know, is it a good unboxing experience? Is it like easy to set up? Like, and does it have all these unique features that customers are asking about? And and, and that's one of the things that since we have talked to so many people, like through through the i program where we interviewed so many people, we learned about all these issues that people had that had automated systems or, or, or didn't have them or like some people had them and then they broke down for different reasons. And 
also like you know what about recirculating automation systems like why aren't they using those systems what are the issues with those systems and i mean to be real like i i actually don't even feel like there's really anyone that's like that strong of a competitor to us like it's not like i feel like oh we really need to worry about this other person making something better than us because basically we have sort of come there have been products already that exist and we have sort of started really like getting better than them pretty quickly and it's it's basically just been like me and adrian and we've hired other people here and there and stuff like that but it's it's basically just been two of us and we're now starting to we're getting so much interest in our product like we we recently put it in a hydroponic store to, to show off because we're not selling it like fully on the market yet but we went to the store and literally everyone in the store is like wanting this thing and everyone's excited about it and we're just like wow like this is this is going to blow up and and the store owner he was even showing us a competing product he's like look this is your competition and we're just looking at it and, and he's like i was like oh it's okay he's like dude it's not okay like you know you know this what your thing is is so much better and so um yeah i mean it's 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 also just like we we just like what we're doing we're not trying to like just hawk some stuff we're not trying to, it's not a business it's not only about business for us it's just what we enjoy doing like we want to make these things for us like we want it to be beautiful and and functional and just everything about it is just exciting to us and so i think that that's why uh it really shows in the product and i think that's why the customers are really so excited about it and and so you've been going now how long's the business been running so um I guess when I had that first conversation with Adrian, that was about like four years and like two months ago. We officially like, so yeah, basically that's how long it's been. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's the two of you right now with a few other folks sort of. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. And what's your sort of big vision for the company? Where do you want to take it in, you know, five years? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good question. So, so one of the things that we're really excited about is like the, the possibility of space travel, because it seems like, you know, uh, NASA is going to be having a mission to the moon in 2024. And so that's where they're going to start launch, like landing at like so they're going to land people, I think, on 2024 on the moon. And that's where they're going to really start figuring out, you know, how do we start doing things in space? Because it's almost like um, a test ground for when we start going to Mars, which I think well, I don't really know, but I, I know that like we're planning on going there in maybe like six or eight years like with people. But I think like actually developing a like a civilization there is going to take like decades and decades and decades. And so uh, they have right now actually a um, a challenge program. It's called the um, the Deep Space Food Competition. And it seems like kind of a distraction for us. But we we, we feel like we, we want to be on the moon like like we want to be one of the first companies that has like these automated systems on the moon. And then funny enough, like it's actually like part of the competition is actually going back and like building the food computer because like that type of system is like what they actually want for the astronauts. And so, you know, but like this time around, it would be like completely our stuff. Um, and so I, I see that. And but also with, with this, the food competition, it's like, you know, they, they don't want stuff that's just for like space. It's like if, if you can grow food on the moon, then you can obviously grow food in like all parts of the world where it's not that easy to grow stuff. And so we want to be a part of the future where there are farms like yours and, you know, but you're, you know, putting them in different areas of the world and they're automated and they're super efficient and they're able to provide food for people that wouldn't have it. And, you know, one of the things like, you know, because I don't think I'm going to, I think we're going to be more focused on the technology and we're probably going to want to like collaborate with other people. 
but I want to see more actual like um, sustainable foods grown, like like calorie dense foods grown indoors, like you know soybeans, potatoes. Like those are the two foods that I think are actually the like the the best foods to grow because like they they require so few resources and they produce so much calories per the amount of resources that they require. And so I think that like if we could be growing those foods, like for example, if we're if we're in space, like the 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 you know, the astronauts that would need something that would taste good and that would be as efficient as possible. Uh, I think those things could be pretty cool because obviously, you know, we're currently growing a lot of food outdoors, uh, which uses so much land is destroying the land and it could be done uh, a lot more efficiently. So I, I really want to be like as a part of that world where, you know, I think where there's more distributed farms, like instead of having them all in the, you know, different areas of the world and everything shipping around, I think we could have smarter smaller farms that are doing more maybe more specific stuff or like or even combining things together and then having those like copy like lots of those all over the world and so and actually like you know one of the things like i, I talk i think about is like you know what we were talking about earlier with like creating jobs or like uh, jobs getting replaced by artificial intelligence i think that this is one of the places where artificial intelligence could actually create more jobs because i actually think that there should be like more farms more farmers and they should have like artificial intelligence running their farms so that they are able to like actually have uh, sustainable farms, like, you know, just have their farms operating properly. And so I think that like the world in the future, the farms should be indoors. And obviously like, there's, you know, challenges with that. But I think in terms of getting the most outputs for the least amount of inputs and then using the least land and all those things, if we really wanted to like live in the more optimal world, uh, where, you know, climate doesn't matter and all these things, then like that's that's what I want to work on. Um, but I mean, I could also t talk more about like what we're actually doing, like, but on the side, but like, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think, yeah. I mean, my, ta my take on the space stuff is that, you know, it's, it's interesting. And I think in like a very, very resource constrained or a very, very uh, space constrained, you know, situation than growing you know, soy or growing potatoes or something might make sense in a vertical farming system like this. I think that it's tough to make it make sense in, you know, the current economy uh, for, for a wider population, right? Um, that's certainly our sort of position on that, I think. I guess um, I'm interested as well, you know, you've, you've started this company, uh, it's kind of at this interesting stage where you have products now in market, people are testing them out, it's pretty, pretty kind of exciting. Um, tell us a little bit more about like your personal lifestyle and how you see sustainability fitting in with that. I think that like you might have uh, adopted like a plant-based diet a few years ago and there may be other sort of like lifestyle choices that you make to kind of fit in with this like sustainability ethos. What, what, what have you got to kind of uh, say about that side of, what, of the world? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I could definitely talk about like just going vegan because that's been a huge part of my life. and. Um, the, like the first time I ever learned about eating a plant-based diet was, uh, I was, I was working at a company doing just like it and they sometimes had people come to the company and just kind of share information. And so there was this one woman that was talking about basically the, the sad diet, which is the standard American diet, which, you know, it's meat and meat and French fries or whatever. Um, but then she mentioned that there's these blue zones where areas where people live the longest in the world and they eat the least amount of meat, like the least amount of animal products. And so she shared that with us and shared some food. And I'm the type of person that is like, if I like receive like 
good information that can help me like live my life better, then I'm just gonna like go for it. And so immediately after that, I became vegan for like, uh, I went, I just decided to go vegan for one week, like I, because I was, I was working out at the time and I was concerned about getting enough protein and I was concerned about eating soy and that sort of thing. But one of the really cool benefits that I got from that was that I, I used to have acne and my, my acne like improved like pretty significantly within that week. Uh, but you know, the thing was I had to eat more meat and get more protein and stuff like that. So then I decided, okay, I can't be vegan anymore. And then I tried it one more time again for just one week because I was going to be starting school and I, I wanted to clear up my skin. So I, I did it again for a week and I had pretty good results with that. Uh, but then, and so again, that was just like another seed in my head of like a thing that could be done. And so then kind of moving into when I actually became the way I am right now, I was uh, watching YouTube and there was a, a YouTube channel called Vegan Gains and he was like a, a vegan bodybuilder and I sort of stumbled upon his channel and he was basically talking about, you know, kind of like talking trash about a lot of different people in the fitness industry and how they're selling like these supplements and like telling you to eat all this meat and all this stuff, but it's actually like not, you know, not, not accurate. It's not based on science. And so he was bringing up a lot of different scientific articles about how you know, eating a plant-based diet has been shown to reverse heart disease, diabetes, and how actually like different animal products can, can cause cancer and, you know, have really bad impacts on, on your health. And so for me, I just started like eating all this, like, you know, consuming all this information. I was like, wow, like this is, this is much deeper than I, than I really under expected. Uh, also the ethical aspects of it, you know, I didn't really understand too much about factory farming and the way that the animal products are, are created, which is, you know, through these like very cruel processes of growing these animals and leaving them in tight cages or in cramped spaces and then like slaughtering them in, you know, horrible ways and stuff. And so I, I quickly, like after watching those, that YouTube channel, I was watching it at night. And then the next day I decided to immediately go and find vegan stuff in my fridge. Then I went to the grocery store and I was like, I'm just going to buy all vegan stuff. So I bought like like tons of fruits and vegetables. And then I bought like the plant-based meats cause I was like, oh, let me just try this stuff out. And so I just tried it, I, you know, some of the stuff was good. Some of the stuff wasn't good, but I was like, I remember eating like these sausages and I was like, wow, these taste exactly like meat. Like, and, and I just remember that moment. I was like, you know what? I, I don't think I ever need to, to go back to eating meat again. And, and, and so how long has it been? Uh, so I've been vegan now. Uh, it's gonna be six years in like June. Cool, cool. And and how does that sort of fit in with your personal, how does your personal kind of ethos about food and the food system and plant-based diets fit in with what you're trying to do with Neurovine? Is there a connection there? Yeah. So it's so a, one of the less obvious things that like, I didn't realize this immediately was actually the, uh, the environmental impact of animal agriculture. And so just because I, I mean, I don't know if, if people really understand this, but uh, there was like just what, what comes to mind is there was this article from Cornell. This was written in like 1997, but basically the way that animals are raised is, is the same. And he said that if um, that the amount of grain that's fed to cattle would actually be able to feed 800 million people if they were not consuming it. So like imagine, you know, in the United States, there's 400 million people if we like took away, so there's food for 400 million people. If we took away the cattle, there'd be an additional 800 million people's worth of food. So we'd have three times more food just from grain. And like, we're, we're just talking about like one thing. And so it really makes you think like, why, like, like th th it just shows you like how much, how inefficient the system is. Cause it's like, we actually don't need to eat 
the, the, the cows and it's uh, costing us so much land. And so like, there's a couple of issues with, the, with like livestock, for instance, is like they, they require so much more land. And I think that, um, for example, I think that there's o over half the land in the United States is actually used for, for livestock. And, and I think that it's about maybe like eight times less land to produce like a vegan diet as it is to produce a, uh, a standard American diet. So say we had like, you know, 50% of our land is, is for, for livestock and animal products, you could reduce that eight times and then you'd have like 80, you know, we, we'd add like 30% or 30 to 40% more land to the United States, which would be completely available to do whatever. Yeah, I'll, I, I mean, I'll just, I'll just kind of wrap it up. It's like, it's like there's basically uh, a lot uh, that we, if we stopped using animal products and we started just using like plant-based foods, then we could, by orders of magnitude, uh, decrease the amount of land we use, decrease the amount of resources we use, and decrease the amount of CO2 that's put into the atmosphere. And it would be like pretty straightforward. And so, and I think that like vertical farming, and it, it, we could even take that to another order of magnitude by using even more, even less land. And so I just wanna be a part of that future where we're living in like an optimal society and it, it's, it just seems very straightforward. And so that's why, uh, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing, you know, it's a, it's a really great business for, for all sorts of reasons, but like, you know, that's kind of one of the things that really keeps me going and it'll keep me going for the next like few decades on, on what I'm working on. Amazing. So that's a pretty great place to, to sort of end. I think like you've got this really interesting new business, a really interesting piece of technology. I think it like fits with your values as well. And then you have this kind of grand vision about the future of agriculture, maybe a little bit of space is in there as well we'll see i don't know if the market for hydroponic products on the moon is very large but hopefully you get a very lucrative contract with nasa or something right well you know in the future it'll change like you know maybe in 50 years there'll be a market yeah <laughs> well this is so cool thank you so much alex it's been great talking to you i've uh, i've had like a bunch of ideas since we've been talking and i can tell that your brain is sort of just working overdrive on all these things and, and I'm really excited to use the system. Um, we'll uh, continue to use it here. We're kind of really excited to see, you know, what things you come up with next. Um, how do people find out about Neurovine then? What's the best place to find you online? And are there any things coming up that they should look out for? Yeah, that's a really great question. So number one would be like following us on Instagram, just at Neurovine, you could find us there. And then you could easily connect to our website. So, you know, Instagram is just a really great starting point for everyone. Um, we have a, so we're, we're taking pre-orders right now and we actually have a launch event like near the end of March. So I think that I, I don't want to say exactly the date, but it's about like the 22nd, the 23rd is going to be our launch. And so what we're going to have is, uh, is an event and people can watch, it's going to be like a live stream sort of thing where we're going to go over like different systems and then you could ask me questions and whatnot. And we basically will have a, a launch special where we have special pricing that you can get if you order the system between the launch event and maybe like, you know, you have an extra week if you want to get it together. And that way you can get uh, get the system for a lower price uh, a little bit earlier than everyone else. So um, that's basically what we're, we're super excited about for, for now. Yeah. Amazing. Very exciting. I'm really looking forward to that launch and I hope people, uh, you know, hope you have a lot of success with it. That sounds great. 
Uh, I've been here with Alex, uh, and I thank you for listening. Uh, this has been the Farm One Podcast. If you want to like and subscribe, it's great, because then you get more content from us. Uh, but we'll leave it there. Thank you so much, Alex. It's been great to chat. Thanks, Rob. This has been a great experience.